welcome to the Unlearning Labels podcast. Our vision is workplaces where people can be themselves, feel valued and fulfill their potential. We are on a mission to awaken people to see beyond their labels, be comfortable being themselves and help them accept others. Listen together as a team and make these conversations part of your monthly staff meetings. Now enjoy this episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Unlearning Labels podcast. Hi, Mira and Peter, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Pretty well, actually. Weather is nice, sun is out, enjoying it while we can. Yeah, yeah. And on the other end, we have rain, which is also very welcome because it's been super hot here in D.C., so... um, but not much has changed in the DEI world, sadly. So, mm. you know, um, what, what do we have to do to make it work beyond the training? You know, I, you and I are both working with clients currently and um, we hear things, you know? And uh, what, what are the, some, some of the things that have come up um, with your leadership teams, Peter? Well, we were talking of just before we were recording, right, that the way I see it, and I know you two see it differently, which is great. That's the whole point of diversity in the first place, right, is that yeah. I just see DEI training as a jumping off point. And I don't mean it's just training. You know, there's some amazing training out there with some of our colleagues who are world-class, you know. So we're not trying to belittle anything that LND does, far from it. But if you start with DEI training in your company as a jumping off point, then that means that it's a continual learning journey. You know, Mm -hmm. it's experiential. And I don't know about you two, but the more I learned about diversity, equity, inclusion was when I was actually speaking to more people that I work with, colleagues, my boss, uh, other departments, other functions, all of this stuff. And what we see, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a lot of fear which i understand um because it's like oh you know especially if you're in a leadership role i must get it right i must make sure that i use inclusive language whatever get it wrong this kind of thing but what if we were to say that that just gets in the way of you listening to understand your team your company each individual and the more companies that say hey we don't have all the answers we are going to pay for world-class training but we also we're not saying we're the experts and it's over to you as employees, what do you think? And if there's a constant interaction of back and forth, then I think that's a really good solid foundation to start any DEI journey. But yeah, I don't know what you two think about that. Yeah, I would agree, Peter, you know, communication is a big issue, right? Because that's what really drives the culture and that gap between, okay, we've had this training now, you know, I'm going to do this thing, you know, it's a muscle memory, I find, you know, people are in a certain pattern of behavior, and um, it's almost like it would be a leap of faith, you Mm -hmm. know, in order to actually uh, behave in the way that uh, we've been trained to behave. Um, And... And then there's, it's the default 
uh, muscle memory of mistrust or lack of safety. Mm. Yeah, we <clears throat> we forget that uh, lots of our behavior comes from traumas and personal experiences in the past, and so we do what we do because it it makes sense. It's like a protective mechanism, and. Uh, 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 and and so we need to understand that. So to change our behavior, it takes, as you said, trust. And and uh, one of the things that that comes up for me when I often talk about it is is love as an understanding. You know, and so understanding why, why we do what we do personally and why other people do what they do. And so um, it's really interesting that there is this gap and and what what often happens in the companies is that they think that doing one or two dei trainings you know because they they ask people and sometimes it's all oh, we want to learn more about the language we want to learn more because this is what they're insecure about but actually these are the superficial uh uh you know what what we see uh, and and it's really good to be aware of it and notice these things because we often don't notice what we do until somebody tells us or we hear it somewhere. But as Peter said, it's really, really just the beginning. And to go deeper, uh, <clears throat> and to go deeper, we really need to develop that trust and, and start understanding pe people. And one of the things that I wanted to mention, and Donna is, I think, uh, uh, going there in that direction, it is the empathy. It's the conversations with people, uh, uh, people that we know, and, and reading about people that we don't know. Um, they are um, they are really relevant and help us see the world from a perspective of another person. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Donna. Um, she's saying that she participated in a DEI task force and change happened when we had intentional weekly conversations. Now, see, mm -hmm. I would agree with Donna because a task force, right, is gonna be different from a basic training. So perhaps that's what is required to mm -hmm. really implement change. So thank you for your input, um, Donna, and um, for sharing that. So ha have uh, you actually done task force with any of your clients? I haven't so far. Uh, it, it can be a double-edged sword. You've got to be really careful about who appoints the task force and does it, or is it representative of your employee base? And that's the thing. It can be seen as a really positive thing, but that it can actually fizzle out excuse me, because sometimes through innocence and just a lack of awareness, they don't ask. Again, it's about going back to employees and say, hey, we've set this up. And it's about how it's communicated in the first place that can have impact or no impact at all. Mm -hmm. But it is obviously better than doing nothing. And again, if the CEO top down is saying, hey, it isn't going to be perfect. So we want to hear your thoughts and feelings about this. Please keep in contact with us. And again, it's having, as Donna mentioned, these really tough, uncomfortable conversations. What we found, we were at, Mir and I were at an event months and months ago with some 
colleagues who were professional, you know, in the DEI space, directors of DEI, that kind of thing. What we saw, which we'd seen before, but this really kind of slapped us in the face, is that quite often there's a lot of people in the DEI space who want to go into it because they want to help, which is great, but they have, as Mira said, un undealt trauma. And they, what they do is they overlay their blind spots and their unconscious biases onto the colleagues and sometimes that trauma if it's not dealt with and this could be any employee but especially if you're in the role of a DEI director or you're working in this space then you have to like us included constantly work on your own self-awareness you know I can say honestly for myself I have many many other blind spots that I'm willing to unearth you know there's lots of biases and things that prop up from you know what I've been taught in school what I've learned as an adult things are picked off both positive and negative being a leader and also as a coach you know i'm willing to be wrong and the thing is i think if dni professionals um leaders and also if that's instilled into employees if everyone's willing to get things wrong and to say hey sorry i didn't know that's how things are said or you know i, I wasn't aware that i actually caused you to feel a certain way and you were uncomfortable then that's when amazing things can happen mm. but it does require a lot of vulnerability and courage and let's be honest quite often if that's not nurtured in a company it's very difficult to get that started because we need to go there first as leaders you know this is really really crucial mm. you know donna i'm wondering if um like what kind of organization was it um what industry and um and I guess as much as you can share in like a, in a comment, <laughs> um, just you know, just out of curiosity. But you know, to your your point, Peter and Mira, one thing that I'm hearing also is uh, as a possibility, some sometimes the um, the people that are in these roles, you know, illegal. Okay, um, is is it could be what is that word called uh emotional labor right mm -hmm. so if the di professionals for example right you're in a mostly male environment like it's it company right and the di representative is uh, a female right um the emotional labor right mm -hmm. because of her lived experience perhaps as a female IT professional, right, can be overlaid. Um, mm. And um, the actual focus on opening minds, right, and opening hearts and sparking awareness is lost because of, um, you know, what Mira was saying about her own trauma and mm. that is being conveyed over the actual intention and message there you know it's it's a uh, uh, it's it's something that we like we're all humans and we all have that it's just something that we need to be aware of and and you know slow down enough to notice these things that we, and, and be be open to feedback um but one of the things uh, and donna mentions task force and they were intentionally doing conversations you know in about dni and and what shows up there but there are things that we've seen and done um 
ourselves that were really part of DNI or maybe even at the heart of DNI. There are things that we can do that can really help change the environment, connect people, help develop empathy, help people understand the experiences of others. Because sometimes, I mean, lots of people, sometimes even I catch myself, you know, when I'm in a low mood or where I'm uh, uh, not seeing things clearly, it, it feels like, you know, it looks to me like everybody should see what I see or or that everybody's having same experience, but it's absolutely not true. We all experience life differently. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that that is really uh, big in helping people try to understand others is reading novels. It's reading fiction. It's reading things that really help you see um, the world through the eyes of another person because you really get into that character. It's much more powerful than a movie. And and there is so many, like I remember looking back, all books that I've read were books written by men, men writers, not so many by female writers. And even female writers, it was, uh, again, the characters, the main character was a man, you know, and Agatha Christie, for example. Mm. And so uh, it's it's interesting that, and there is so much more that we can discover if we just look into it. There is so many more female writers, female characters, uh, characters from different uh, um orientations, characters from different parts of the world, Japanese, Thai, uh, uh, African, you know, so it's, it is really, uh, it's just that we need to kind of a little bit dig deeper and find those things. Like for example, we found in Berlin, there is a bookstore that sells books only by female writers. And so it's really interesting to, to see those things. And so there is way in which we can, through doing something that is really nice and useful uh, for our mental health, also improve empathy, and uh, that's part of DNI. You know, Peter, you have the experience. You, you did Bake Offs. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Bake Offs. Yeah, the Bake Off yeah. sessions. When, when people would bake cakes and bring them, and then they started with sweets and then savouries, stuff from their own country. Because ah, okay. he used to work in a really diverse environment, like people were from all, all over the world. Yeah, I mean, again, I won't name the company. People can work it out. But um, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff done for employee engagement. There was a lot of training, investment, all of that. But it didn't always quite hit the mark, if I'm honest, and it won't, you know. The reality is that at a local level, at site level, you need to find heroes, ambassadors, people who are willing to go there, where other people may be not willing to because they're uncomfortable, and then just find really creative and curious ways in getting people together. And this was, I mean, for those listening and watching, I don't know if it happens in other countries, I'm sure it does, but this was a spin-off of a very popular, I think, a BBC program. Sorry if it's not. <laughs> and it was about a competition about making cakes. And one of my colleagues was really, really good at baking, and he loved to make cakes. And this spiraled into us actually 
at site level making it an annual event and it was so cool because everyone pretty much got involved every team and that actually ended up with other jumping off points where we could have other events that were not baking because again we want to be diverse and not everyone wants to bake cakes right yeah so maybe you had cookies and pies right <laughs> well yeah i mean we went on sweet savory we ran out of steam with that but then it went on to other things that had nothing to do with baking but the main point and yeah it's a oh. good reminder is that if you get creative and then you ask you know your audiences your employees you know your employees are your best assets and what happens is leadership teams, innocently or not, forget to include them when they do any DEI initiatives. And it starts at the grassroots because if you don't have your employees on board, if you don't make it fun and meaningful and ask them, you know, what's in it for them? If you do launch something, what will be the reaction of your employees? Would you, you know, what's your best guess? What did you do in your town hall to make DEI more palatable, more fun, more tangible, stuff like this? And, and it's just that we see companies just missing the point because we're all running around too fast. We're all looking to make money and hit results. But if you want to make more profit and hit the results and have a great community and a wonderful workforce, then it just needs to be a back and forth between everyone. You know, what do you think? How has it gone? Okay, if we made a mistake, let's unpack that. What else would you like to see? Yeah. And that's all we see missing, really. And and I think one of the reasons why it's missing, uh, I, I don't know what you think, Cordelia, to me it looks like this, first of all, we are running, 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 and nobody has a moment to stop and say hello and uh, have, you know, meaningful conversation with the person next to them. Uh, and the other thing is... Um, uh, Sorry, I'm reading a comment. Yeah, so <laughs> Donna is, is against sharing that they, they're in the process of doing this with cupcakes and her firm created the DEI committee with only attorneys. See, this I think is very powerful, you know, um, beyond that, right? So rather than training, it looks like her firm chose to do, to have a task force and mm -hmm. now a committee. So mm -hmm. it's basically by the, by, well, I guess in this case, it would be by the partners um for the firm right and i guess the task force was by the employees with the partners for the firm right so the buy-in the enrollment is easier in that way right because so much people easier. want to make a change yeah because if you don't have buy-in before you do any training oh okay mm -hmm. so it was only attorneys but then they that's correct. okay yeah no, but I think kudos to you because I think that's the right way. If if things start organically like that and there's involvement and then, you know, you go in there and asking you for permission. And again, it's not like you won't do it depending on the answer, but that's just so much easier to, as a starting point because any activity in the DEI space, it has to have some kind of solid foundation. And what we see quite often is, and it's innocent, you know, people spend millions on training. And then a big chunk of the employees were, were just like, you know, what is that? Why are they dictating to us? And it wasn't even the fact that the training wasn't good or it wasn't slick or the content wasn't good enough in the DEI space. It's far from it. But it because it was disconnected from the employees themselves and they had no say, it was just totally intangible. And the problem is that 
people will act up and it happened to me and you know in the roles that i was in that when we didn't ask permission as managers as leaders it doesn't matter how good it is people are like well what's in it for me you never included me so i'm just basically gonna throw my toys out the pram and again it's not being childish but it, that's the kind of reaction i would expect if you're not going there first with them and saying hey we're going to do some training soon you won't have full autonomy about the training, but we want to know what you think. We are going to include you as we scale this up. And we want to set a community in place because, to be fair, I think people forget DEI is about having an amazing community in the workplace. And if you don't have that, then anything you do is going to be really tricky, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. inclusive should include everybody. And, you know, you, I want to pull out this word, that one of the words you said there, Peter, and it's expect, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when you live in a world of expectation, right? Um, it's, it's really not about, um, you're, you're not creating agreements and you're not um, serving anybody, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, when you get a, an opportunity to, you know, let's use Donna's example, right? And you have the partners, the attorneys, and the employees um, together on a task force, on a committee working together. This is an opportunity to open up the lines of communication to create an agree to create agreements, right? Surrounding how we're going to be with each other, how we're going to treat each other. So, um, you know, the attorneys may had some may have had some things in mind, perhaps their female partners or, you know, other gender partners or other cultural partners. Right. But then uh, so they're at a certain uh, they have a certain perspective. And then the employees, you know, the legal secretaries and receptionists, they have a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. But to have an understanding of what's important to both groups you can come to agreements and you may have may find the gap, you know, um, in the middle, why people are not feeling safe. This thing is important to me. This does not exist. Right. And so you weren't serving your employees over here. And then maybe you weren't serving the partners over there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and just coming together, maybe with uh, each offering, you know, the same number of items um, to to agree upon, and then um, that would drive a new uh, culture. Mm. You you know what's interesting though what you said. Uh, we've seen you know we had conversations with people that were on a tasks for task forces in the past, uh, and it looked like it was a ticking a box. It's like we've seen a problem and we spoke to the management The management said start something, but management never got involved. And so, uh, so people were left. I mean, I'm sure they did some really good work as well. But if you don't have buy-in and engagement from the management, it looks like they don't care about it. And it may be that they're just really busy with other stuff, but it is really important. Um, and so 
there was no buy-in and it didn't really uh, work. I mean, it was it was lots of work for people, but the results were really, really low because uh, there was no, again, not everyone were included. And so that's why it's important to, uh, when we do stuff like that, is to really have uh, a commitment from everyone in, in some way. You know, it doesn't have to be, not everybody should be doing the same thing. There, but you know, th there are certain things uh, uh, that everybody can do. You know, and so I think that's one of the things that we've noticed that is lacking is the commitment from everyone. Yeah, what we notice with larger companies, more you know, dare I say, legacy companies with lots of employees, is that. The certain people in the leadership team are just not that self-aware, if I'm honest, and they're uncomfortable and they don't know where their source of feelings are coming from. So I'll give an example. When I work with CEOs for the, the European Innovation Council, what often pops up is that, you know, especially female leaders, you know, they're amazing. They've got everything they need. They're credible, but sometimes they don't see that. And, you know, they're in a meeting live and there's, too many males in the room, so they think they have to copy that kind of toxic behavior, or they suddenly start to act in a way that confuses the people in the room. And then there's lots of confusion. Mm -hmm. But that's okay, because when we feel vulnerable, when we don't feel like enough, quite often we end up acting up, me included, you know, I'll say too much, or, you know, I'll try and prove my self-worth. And actually, the, from what I've seen from a white privileged male perspective is that it's much harder for females much harder and I, and I can see that in the work that we do so what i'm saying is that the more that we talk about this kind of thing openly that if you're in a position where you have responsibility you're in a leadership team it will be great for employees to see that you've gone there first because putting a director of dei in place but not working on yourself as a leader and not being self-aware is a recipe for disaster. It doesn't matter how good the director is because you're actually not allowing them full autonomy to do the work because it's always going to come back to you. It's not about the book stops at you, but if you're not willing to work on yourself and think, okay, what are my blind spots? What do I get wrong? What can I learn about myself as a person and the things that I'm not aware of and all these other things that pop up? then it's going to be really difficult to own anything that's happening in the space of the E&I in, in your company. And so the more leaders, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, do you, are you saying like you're encouraging the leaders to actually be their word? You mean like committed to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, strange, no? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the thing is, the, there are companies out there that have seen leaders being really, the courage is amazing, you know, really being vulnerable, even though some of them don't see that because they just see that if they want to have an amazing community, they have to go there. And it's about really, you know, you, you'll know when it makes sense. You can't fake this. You just start to communicate with your people and say, hey, I got this wrong yesterday. I'll give an example. I was speaking to the board. This happened. I don't hear enough of this, but when companies do this, it's electrifying. It starts, to, it's like a catalyst. It starts to, small little uh, changes start to ripple outward. And when employees see that at every level, they can see, oh, me too. Maybe I can say how I feel, or sometimes I feel like I'm ignored, I'm uncomfortable, or I got it wrong in a meeting yesterday and one of my colleagues told me off, but that's okay. Because next time I know what constitutes inclusive language. 
I'll give an example. You know, when I called a group of ladies guys, you know, and I was lovingly corrected by one of our colleagues in the DEI space. And it feels uncomfortable, but that's okay. And the more that we talk about this, then, you know, the, the inclusive language doesn't seem so important. It is, but it's okay to get it all wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Donna's saying that that's good, Peter, but it comes back to real, rev relevant, and raw conversations. Well, just to say, well, well, let's yeah. unpack that. I mean, what constitutes having raw conversations? People need to feel safe. There needs to be a high level of trust before anyone is really, let's be honest, willing to go there. And that's the sad truth that, you know, if you want to talk about psychological safety, that has to be in place before people are willing to, especially in, in a context of being in a team. You know, if you're not feeling safe, it's going to be really, really difficult to have a tough, raw natural conversation about how you don't feel comfortable being in this work right now or this happened to me in in the workspace how do you feel about yeah, it you're either safe or totally fed up <laughs> yeah and let's be honest when people get really fed up it goes quiet you know we've walked into companies where there's so low trust that there's no way these tough conversations are going to happen yet because people just gave up and the reality is that unless changes are made changes in personnel or someone puts their hand up and says look it's gone quiet we're really curious what have we done wrong because we've definitely done something wrong no blame is put at anyone's door but let's regenerate the conversations let's talk about it and it takes a lot of courage and patience and care because mm -hmm. it won't just happen overnight you know so you know the other, let's let's um you know the what i'm hearing underneath all of this is really like what we do um, to encourage the self-awareness piece, right? And the, the self-compassion piece. So um, getting into nurturing, you know, res uh, uh, respect amongst each other, right? And so when we are committed, let's say, to something that that's very human centric and, and we can all agree upon, right? Like everyone has burnout. Why does everyone get tired? So focusing on something that matters to everyone uh, can redirect the, the energy of toxicity and then you, you can bring in the trust that way, you know? So yeah. let's say for example, you know, there's um, a, a you're going through a time crunch and everyone has to work longer hours. Um, and just everybody has to put more energy into it, but making like snacks available that you first sent out a survey, ask what people care to eat, making sure that it's, you know, high quality food and, you know, good nutrition. Um, and, and seeing that you're cared for in that way then that helps, you know, to reestablish trust, you know? Mm. Um, and so when, when I work with individual leaders, I don't so much work with teams like you guys do. Um, I, I really focus on um, helping them to implement self-nurturing, right? Because that ripples out the way leaders treat themselves you know what I'm talking about. You've been in workplaces where the leader's just like, well, 
I work, you know, 20 hours a day. Everybody else should work 20 hours a day. But if a leader recognizes that um, I actually only have the physical and mental capacity to be um, present, fully present and committed to the mission, like nine or 10 hours a day, you know, as a consideration, maybe we should all cut back our hours, you know? Mm -hmm. And as a consideration, I'm noticing that, you know, Mira is really good at this thing, but we had Peter doing it. And it's, it's taking Peter twice the amount of time that it takes Mira. So is it okay if I have Mira do this? You know, just like seeing people for what they're actually contributing um, rather than, well, you know, Peter, you're, you do this and you're going to do that, you know? Mm. Um, do, it, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the, you know, like, again, we, we go back to low awareness of, of, of ourselves and, and other people. And, and it always comes to, it starts from ourselves. You know, if I'm not taking care about myself, if I'm not aware of my behavior, uh, if I'm not aware of the effect of my behavior and all of that, it, or, or my influence as a leader, uh, that, that will all trickle up in, into the team. It is really, it is, it is amazing when we see this, but it's also really rare that you have a leader who is going to put a wall to protect their team. You know, it's <clears throat> the leader who is feeling safe enough. So there is, there's two. There is the deep feeling of safety and knowing that I'm okay regardless of what happens. And that comes from deep connection with ourselves, is to knowing who we really are. Not, not Mira, who is sitting here and talking and, you know, knows something about this or about that, or, you know, it's, it's Mira who is, who am I really, me, inside. Uh, and that, that I know that I'm, I can never be really damaged, you know? And so when I know that, I am then feeling safe in lots of different situations where other people wouldn't feel safe. I can go there and do stuff. Yes, you know, you have fear, you have insecurities, all of that, but it's not stopping you. Uh, so that's what, that's this deep understanding of yourself and, and the fact that you are safe. The other thing is that when we think that our safety comes from the outside and, uh, I will be safe if I have, uh, if my boss is happy. I will be safe is if I make my quota this month. I will be safe when, I will be safe when, I will be safe. That, that person always depends on somebody else. And they themselves, if they're in a leadership position, can never be the leader who is going to uh, uh help others feel safe, if that makes sense. That is the leader who's going to be micromanaging because it's always scared and always protecting themselves. So I don't know if this makes, but there's these two different uh, ways that I see us trying to make ourselves feel safe. 
and it's going inwards uh, or trying to fix stuff on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I think Mutiat is uh, agreeing. She's saying there's still so much to be done regarding DEI, but it's always it always has to start with the leader being well equipped uh, themselves with their understanding, open mindedness, and willingness to change. Yeah. And the other thing I heard you say is the the thoughts that you think about yourself, right? You know mm -hmm. that that's what that's uh, what you guys really do. You know, with your mindset um, coaching with leaders is what you're thinking is it true is it accurate and um, do you it, it's almost like a, a a refocusing on what is what is mm -hmm. right and making the what is neutral and then pulling away so we don't jump into the meaning making and making it mean something that it isn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that creates lots of trust in teams, I think. Um, and, you know, when, when we agree on something and did we actually do it, or if we don't do it, we explain why. Well, that's a good know? point, because <laughs> if a leader doesn't follow through with action, and quite often I see in the DEI space that leadership teams, leaders separately, team leaders, function heads, all of that, it's a misalignment mess. And it is tricky because, you know, it's okay if you've got 10 people, 20, 60, even up to 250, it's doable. Once it get, pa once it get past, you know, 500, it's really tricky. There's lots of moving parts, lots of employees, lots of people in different management roles. And the thing is, with any company that's really doing well in terms of their community and they're actually dealing with DEI and actually embracing diversity, you know, the funny thing is they're not really talking about it. They're just doing, you know. Yes. They are talking about individual things, but it doesn't necessarily carry the label. And in fact, a lot of our work, we don't openly advertise that we're DEI experts because I don't think we are. It's just that we're deeply inclusive with the language, how we slow leaders down, how we work with teams. The first thing that we do is say, look, if you want to be a model team for the rest of the business, you have to go there first. You have to trust yourself. And you also have to really listen to each other to really understand. Mm -hmm. And when that happens at an individual level in a leader, it's instilled in a team. It starts to create this ripple effect that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. And it isn't a simple thing. You know, it, it's a constant game of working on yourself and being self-aware and also stumbling on something like we all do me included where oh I don't like about I don't like that about myself was I doing that in my career yes okay mm, I'd like to stop that but it's better that you spot this and have the uncomfortable feeling and then you know for next time and the leaders that are willing to know for next time instead of hiding those feelings or running away from trusting themselves or you know, trying to instill some trust and safety in the team, that's when it gets really tricky because if, if the people that they look up to, they, they're sketchy, they, it's obvious they don't trust themselves, they're not really embracing their own feelings, how do you expect employees to do that? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people already feeling marginalised, different, they don't see a mirror in the leaders, they don't see a mirror in people sitting next to them. So 
you've already got that challenge straight out the gate, even in the best company. So just go in there first is the starting point. I would say that's the the seeds of any DEI action in a company. I don't know what you two think of that. Mm -hmm. But without that, you can't really water it, right? <laughs> you can't yeah, really have being, being the embodiment of what of the culture you would like to cultivate in your in your mm -hmm. team and your organization definitely is is number one, you know. Um, and yeah, just being that example, anyone can give things lip service. I think that is really the whole point that we're making here. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, and we've got DEI training, you know, and nobody behaves yeah. inclusive, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, there, there's a disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It's careful what you wish for. Do you want to, you know, and this is me saying it to company leaders, do you want to take a box, you know? Or it's like greenwashing. Yes, well, hey, we've done our, it's a milestone, we've done our DEI training. Or do you actually want to embody and live that and have that, you know, trickle down to every aspect of the company itself? And that's where I get excited or we get excited about our work, <laughs> right? Because once we see it embodied by everyone and people are like, yeah, I can talk about this. Actually, this is doable. I actually like working here. I feel like people are listening to me. That's the, you know, diversity in action. And if that's not happening in every team, something's amiss. And again, it will be, you know, there's always going to be something amiss, but that shouldn't scare you into being curious, listening to all of your colleagues and learning, you know, and if you're willing to learn, you'll learn aspects about yourself, aspects about your colleagues, aspects about your team that you wouldn't have necessarily learned before if you weren't willing to just reflect on this stuff. But yeah, as you said before, Mira, it, we're running so fast and everyone is so frenetic in this crazy mm. world that do we ever really get any wiggle room or time or downtime to reflect on what all this stuff means, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I was kind of, I wanted to go back to that. I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. It's not that people don't want to change. It's not that people don't want to work in, in better environments. All of us do, you know, it doesn't matter who we are or what we are. Uh, but I think the challenge is with the rat race and the challenges with the lack of time. Uh, well, not lack of time, but the fact that we are constantly doing something. So the time that we have is not filled with stuff that it's meaningful and stuff that it's important to all of us, but stuff that needs to be done, little tasks. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like if we are just sitting and talking about something, it means that we are not do doing work, so somebody doesn't like it, you know. And so there is this challenge of, I think, changing the the idea about what it means to work in a company, what it means to work, and, and why is this important? Because when we don't have energy, when we are exhausted, and, for example, doing the same thing over and over again causes uh, burnout. It's not physically working, it's constantly doing the same thing. And so when we are burnt out, when we are tired, our brain cannot, it doesn't want to learn something new. You know, our brain is here primarily to preserve energy and, and, and keep us alive. And so you know, why am I, you know, I was talking to a, a client the other day and says, you know, I've, this is all great. And uh, 
I've started changing and started with new habits and all of that. It's, it's about, it was about sleeping and, and uh, uh, reflections and, you know. And then now I see myself uh, sleeping back. And I'm like, so what's going on? Oh, but we're now three months doing this project and I'm la and I'm tired. Mm. And so it's really, you know, and this is what I see with us humans right now. That's just the biggest, biggest challenge to, to making a meaningful change that will stick to doing things that, because we don't see clearly, you know, we're just, we're a little bit lost. And yeah. to come back, we need to... Uh, step back uh you know maybe listen to, <laughs> to an episode of this you know or 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 something that will help us reconnect with what is really important to us and and slow down and maybe do a little bit less work maybe learn how to delegate maybe learn how to get comfortable speaking up for like donna did you know and so but for all of that we need some space, you know, tiredness and, and, and burnout is a big, big block. I mean, you're, you're really talking about energy management and I would refer people to listen to that episode on the mind takeaway where you really go deeply into energy management. Oh, um, yeah. Right. Um, it was a couple of months ago and mm -hmm. um, that really will help because your brain, like you were saying, wants to be in a uh, power saving mode, you know, and mm -hmm. <laughs> it, the easiest way to stay in power saving mode is to be right um, in the moment and not skipping ahead and be it, it's we waste so much energy when we're not committed to being our word. We waste so much energy mm -hmm. when we're not committed to uh, keeping an agreement, right? It's just mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll just say this to placate, right? But mm -hmm. then I'm gonna really do this over here. Mm -hmm. it, that is, that's gonna burn you out. Just stay in integrity with your word and be committed to the agreements that you create. When you create a task force, a task force or when you have trainings, you know, you, you, you have to, um, that that can mitigate burnout as well you know it's it's interesting yeah it's the um we had a conversation um recently also on the mind takeaway podcast uh with the is she a ceo of the women on boards in europe Peter. kirsten kirsten yeah uh, and, and she said something, she actually pulled out a fact, I can't remember exactly what numbers were there, uh, that, that actually there is a study that was made that says the people who uh, are comfortable being th themselves at work uh, and who are being themselves at work are uh, much more productive, they make better decisions, and that is actually a number. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. And, and what... what what is happening within the uh, um, within the workspace a lot is us trying to be somebody else because we don't feel safe being ourselves or we think we shouldn't be ourselves because nobody wants it, you know. Yeah. And so um, 
Yeah, I mean, we, we are planning an interesting interview uh, uh, soon uh, on the Mind Takeaway talking exactly about this. So uh, we'll, we'll inform everybody about it. Are we? Yes. Well, <laughs> the, the energy management one, I, I think do. that's one of your mini episodes. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Put the link for that in the comments because mm -hmm. I think that'll, you know, give people a good understanding of you know how to be themselves when you're tired you're not going to be yourself you know and you it sends your thoughts spiraling i i know in in both cases uh the way we work with people is to really heavily encourage sleep you know because <laughs> everybody thinks i'll sleep when i die but you know it's the number number yeah. one metabolic stabilizer and your hormones male or female yeah. right you, you will go out of whack without sleep. So let's just be clear on that. Um, so beyond uh, yeah, science is changing, people. Science is changing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to do all of these weird and wonderful things and have a you know amazing diverse workforce, there needs to be time and energy put aside for it. You know, back to what Donna said originally. You know, if you want to have open, raw, real conversations. These things have to be scheduled, but also there has to be a willingness for everyone to go there. Mm. You know, it's a, it's like when <laughs> I think back of some of the roles was there, no one wanted to be in the room in certain meetings because it wasn't communicated what's in it for me and it wasn't straight out the gate a safe space. So no surprise, it's, it's like getting blood out of a stone. But if you do it the opposite way and really give it love, care and attention and say, hey, you know, like we've talked about in our early episodes, we see you we feel you, you know, we value we you, all, you hear you, yeah, that kind of thing, then no surprise, that's going to be an easier meeting or conversations to facilitate because people will be like, yeah, me too, I'm willing to talk about this. And there might even be a bit of, you know, nervous excitement that they're going to talk about it. And it's okay if there's dissent, it's okay if it looks like it can't be facilitated because that's what open, raw and real conversations look like. And quite often, a lot of our work, all three of us, right, is to slow leaders down enough to get uncomfortable and be comfortable with that, which mm -hmm. is a tricky one because there will always be going to be uncomfortable situations, but that doesn't mean anything's wrong. In fact, if you are uncomfortable then you're a great leader if you're not uncomfortable as we said the other day then you can't really have the label of a leader because you mustn't be doing stuff right if, if everything's really easy <laughs> yeah you're not getting out of uh, you're not doing anything new <laughs> right it's it's okay you know it's already messy so just make it messier by cleaning it up you know <laughs> if yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, you know how um, my dad used to have this amazing saying uh uh you know the easiest way the easiest way to uh solve a problem is to create a bigger one <laughs> brilliant <laughs> right but, so is there anything else we want to put into the space before we close the conversation uh, i want to i want to thank the uh well donna mostly <laughs> for for being you, uh, a part of our conversation and uh mutiat she um, actually is uh, running for the next two weeks, beginning this weekend, a thought leadership uh, summit, and I'm I'm one of the speakers. So um, thank you both, ladies, for being part of the conversation. And um, for those of you who watch on the replay or listen later, you know, do put your comments, and we will respond. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
Anything else we want to put in this space, Peter or Mira? I think we've covered a lot. It's been a good one. The only thing I'd say is I'm just curious what you both think about, you know, because we're not, we're not, all three of us are not ones to give advice because we're coaches, right? So no surprise, we want people to, you know, and this is maybe the, the only thing I'll throw in the ring is that diversity is exactly that. It's diverse. So there's so many amazing opinions and ideas and solutions right inside your company. So, you know, you don't have to go looking outside. And the more that you listen to understand your employees, as a guest, that you'll find really amazing, novel, innovative solutions to everything that's probably causing you a headache or keeping you up at night. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the best way to form an engagement and, and, and actually help people to be inclusive. You know, it's... it's it's delegate, it's listen to them, is, is allow them to do what they see uh, and feel as important for themselves and other people over there. So uh, th there is so much. I mean, we came up with the idea of doing a book club, you know. <laughs> it was like they were doing bake-offs. You know, it, it wasn't initially about DNI, but it became. It became, yeah. and so it's it's really interesting that there is so many things that we can do as individuals, as groups, as as companies that is that has DNI. DNI isn't separate, and I think this is maybe the message that I it was going on through my head as we were we were talking. DNI isn't separate from everything else. It is part of everything else, and should be part of everything else. So when we you know, we're, we're doing leadership development. It's part of it. And we don't go, okay, in this section, we are going to talk about DNA. Right. It right. goes through absolutely everything that we do. Uh, when you're doing, uh, I don't know, legal uh, training, like the, um, what they do in Germany? Labor law training. Labor law training in companies. Uh, that should be, you know, like any anything, anything, anything needs to be needs to be baked in, needs to be part of. And and when you are looking for people that are going to be doing the training, I, I think you should be looking for people who have some kind of experience, or you heard them some somewhere talking about DNI. They don't, or inclusivity, or diversity, or you know, not. Not just, you know, this is what I do and, and I don't, you know, nothing else is important to me because, you know, even if you bring them in, uh, you know, how will they be, be able to engage absolutely everybody to, who works in your company? So it's it's really important to see DNI as part of everything and not exclusive uh, or, or not separate from everything else that we do. I guess yeah. that's my take on it. I agree. Yeah, mostly that you're the embodiment of what you want to create and that it's about who you be so that you can do the things that are appropriate and have the culture that you're seeking um, rather than just ticking the box. So experiment <laughs> with being different, you yeah. know, for a change. So thank you for... Um, 
tuning in today to Unlearning Labels, and we'll be back next month. Thank you all. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Unlearning Labels is about talking the walk of I see you, I hear you, and I value you. If you found these conversations insightful and useful, please share them with others and sign up for our newsletter at unlearninglabels.com.